Welcome back to The Inner Athlete. This is episode number 35, and I'm not sure if you're going to be able to hear it, but there is an amazing Florida rainstorm going on outside my window right now, and it just, I haven't seen one of these in a long time, and it's funny because I was just taking a walk, looking at the pond and looking at how unbelievably dry it was and saying, hmm, we haven't had some rain in a while, and here we go, nice little Florida rainstorm. Um, but today's episode, guys, a um, couple of topics I want to talk about. First and foremost, I want to break down a little bit of the CrossFit Games season uh, that I've been able to experience so far. Uh, it is day two, technically, I believe, of the quarterfinals. I have one workout left to do tomorrow morning. Um, and if you've been following the CrossFit Games, or if you have not been following the CrossFit Games, heck, you might not even be interested in the CrossFit Games. I'm still going to talk about it a little bit because I actually am really excited about uh, the way that they broke down the season this year. I think it was a really cool thing that they had the first um, stage being the open where anybody could compete. Um, somewhat friendly for those of you guys that are, are at home and don't have access to a gym, um, but also, you know, very modifiable, scalable, all-inclusive. I thought it was also really cool that they took a pretty large percent of the next pool to move on to the next stage, which was the quarterfinals. Um, and that's exactly what we're experiencing this weekend. Now, as we're in this quarterfinal stage, the couple of things I have to kind of talk about is one, the workouts were really cool, very regional style for like what I would see at a um, old regionals event. Um, my only concern, honestly, was because it was so inclusive to so many people that um, some of the workouts, specifically like the GHG rope climb pistol workout was one of those workouts that could leave people who have very limited access to a GHG and have spent very little time on it, experiencing some very not so fun effects in the days to come. Um, if you've taken your level one, you obviously know the fear of rhabdo is real and GHG setups is probably one of the main, um, things that would give a person rhabdo. So definitely if you uh, are feeling the effects of those GHG setups after a couple of days, I understand and I feel your pain. <laughs> um, but I do think that the test in general, were really well balanced. I think that they had a good combination of strength and power, a good combination of, you know, more of a longer grind workout, and then just kind of like some fun stuff built in, some motor stuff. I wish there was one more workout. I do think that it would have been really cool to see one more that was more of like a gymnastics specialist workout. Um, they had like a strength test. They had kind of a strength power test. Um, they had a good motor test with the wall ball rowing. They had the, the handstand push-up, hang clean, double under workout, kind of like a classic CrossFit Met contest. I think that they just really needed something with maybe like some handstand walking and, you know, maybe some muscle ups or something like that would have been really cool. Uh, just getting the rings out there. And, you know, I, I think that my thing is like, if they want to say, well, we were trying to make it friendly for people in quarantine, I'm like, well, people in quarantine don't typically have a 15 foot rope nor do they have a GHG, you know, so most of those people are going to be very limited anyway. So I think it would have been totally fine to add one more test there. Uh, they could have even put the rope climb workout and the muscle up workout maybe on the last day, since we did have a specific order to turn them in on. And then at least people could have played in like the first part, right? They could have played in stage one or test one, test two, maybe test three and test four. And then only the last two tests they could have had to like opt out of. But Regardless, the tests have been super fun. Um, I'm having a really good time throwing down with some old guys that I have been friends with for a long time, which is honestly just refired up this love for the CrossFit community in general. I haven't had that um, in a long time where there's just so many people around and 
um, just seeing so many people just push and, and push each other. And it's just, it's just such a fun thing, you know? So regardless of CrossFit intimidates you or not, the, the community of CrossFit, whether you're on the sidelines or you're in the, in the game is just so fun. So, and it's been really cool to, uh, get back into it with them. Um, the B CrossFit guys have been around since I started CrossFit. So like, I can remember throwing down with them, uh, years ago when I was just training, you know, locally back in 2011. So it's really cool seeing everybody. And it was actually really funny, um, not to kind of get too boring on you guys, but just watching the lifestyle changes, right. Of, of 10 years ago, now they've got kids and they're talking about play sets and play, you know, swing sets and, you know, power wheels. And it, it's just so cool watching people grow and grow together and, you know, their lives change. But anyways, that's not the topic of this episode, but just some cool experiences that I've had um, with the quarterfinals. So really excited to what's to come uh, for the rest of the season. But as I kind of was, you know, closing out my chapter of the quarterfinals, it got me thinking about one thing that I thought would be really helpful for some of you guys out there is um, a question that I had actually asked myself is, does size necessarily make you stronger? And I say this because last year I specifically spent the majority of the year putting on size. I I really tried to fight to put on about 15 pounds and I successfully did so and somewhat uncomfortably towards the end. Um, And I feel feel pretty good about myself right now in terms of how I look, how I feel, how I perform. Um, My recovery is pretty good. But I will say this, I don't feel like my strength has come up as much as I would like it to. And the reason I mentioned that is because I think I know, I actually do know what the missing link is, but I think that some of you guys out there might be needing to hear this because I think for some people they think, oh my gosh, if I lose weight, I'm going to get weaker or, oh my gosh, if I gain weight or, 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 oh my gosh, I need to gain weight to get stronger. And I think that size is somewhat irrelevant if your recovery isn't there. And I'm not just talking about physical recovery. I'm talking about your mental readiness to lift at maximal efforts. And I experienced that because on uh, Thursday when I was doing the front squats, it was my first time I felt like I had really pushed a max effort lift in a long time. And I mean, I've tried to get to that like dark place, but like I literally blacked out a little bit on my last rep. And I know that we shouldn't be doing that all the time, but if you are in that competitive space and you are trying to make it to the next stage, I realize I don't think I'm doing that enough. And I think that that's why, although I have gotten stronger, I've stayed lean. um, I'm sorry, I've gotten, I've gotten larger and I've stayed lean, gained weight and stayed lean. I don't think my strength is as reflective because I have been kind of a little bit complacent with my numbers. And it was exciting to me to experience that because I'm like, okay, Now I know what I have to do in training. And this is where testing can be so cool, guys. That's why I even love the way they said test one, test two, because it's stuff that you can use. And now it becomes metrics for you to go back to your gym and practice on. And this is the cool part of CrossFit is that becomes measurable. You go back, you reassess, and you get back to work and you train those things again and you get stronger. And then before you know it, you're better off than you thought you were. So that's kind of my own my only like little side tangent today as I kind of piggybacked off of the quarterfinals. And I'm going to add on that today's podcast really is all talking about, I don't want to call it just CrossFit, but um, you know, I, I think that in the CrossFit space, there is 
a huge missing link of like nutrition and training and nutrition for weight loss and fat loss, nutrition for competition and, you know, obviously competing and trying to stay lean. And, and there's just so many variables that can go along with like, what the hell should you be doing just to like eat, right? So you're trying to PR your lifts, you're trying to get fitter in the gym, you're trying to run faster, you're trying to do crazy gymnastic stuff. Like what should you be eating to do all that kinds of stuff? And how much focus do you actually need to be putting on it? And it, it's probably going to tangent into a couple of different things today, but that's where I want to start. Okay. So first and foremost, like do you or should you be dialing in your nutrition? Like when is it time to dial things in or, you know, really kind of put yourself into a situation where like nutrition is your focus. And I'm going to start by saying at some point, everybody's CrossFit journey or any journey that you're in, you should spend a period of time dialing in your nutrition, whether you are looking for health, whether you are looking to peak physique. So you want to like have the aesthetics that you work hard for in the gym or you are competing. I think it's really cool for everybody to experience a period of time where they've actually dialed things in and actually seen what it feels like to optimize nutrition for the the best like performance, recovery, life, body body composition that you possibly can. It doesn't mean you have to live that way forever, but I think it can be a great learning tool to know how good you can feel so that whenever you're varying away from that, you are very more much more aware of the things that you should be focusing more on to keep yourself feeling so good. And, and I think that that is something that people don't spend enough time thinking about. It's really easy to be like, well, I don't look too bad. I perform okay. So everything's all right. And sometimes that person doesn't realize that maybe just adding in a little bit of carbohydrates to their diet, um, you know, a lot of people under eat, um, they might feel so much better and, you know, vice versa people that go to the gym, you know, five, six days a week, and they are a little bit overweight or maybe not even overweight, but just like definitely want to get a little bit leaner. You know, they're putting all this work in and they're kind of like, hmm, I mean, I just wish I was a little bit leaner. Sometimes just taking some time to learn what is actually causing you to not see those results can be so helpful. And then obviously like myself, if you are a performance-based athlete, then going into a competition season, knowing that you have optimized your body's ability to recover, you have figured out your body's ability to store glycogen. So you know, like how to carb load appropriately for a competition and you know how much your body can, can, can hold on to, and you know what foods fuel your body the best, you know, how you feel your best in a competition. That stuff can be so awesome to be a learning tool for you and a learning curve for you. And it's why I really do think that everybody should spend a period of time just kind of dialing things in. But for most people, they dial things in when they have a goal. And that's usually either a body composition related goal or a performance or like a trying to get stronger based goal. So I wanted to mention and mostly focus today on, you know, I guess this this very big overarching theme that I I can I tend to find a lot of in CrossFit gyms. And and not just in CrossFit gyms, but in in most gym spaces is two things. One, it's the magical intermittent fasting, and two, it's the magical low carb protocols, AKA ketogenic diets or whatever you want to call them. And I'm going to focus mostly on the ketogenic style, uh, low carb diet today, but I'm going to touch on briefly on the intermittent fasting. And I'm going to start with that one. Um, so this kind of protocol came, uh, around, I, I don't even remember where I first heard of it. I don't, I don't think it was the warrior diet, but there's been so many books that I've read in the past, um, and I think that there was, I know that there was like restricted eating windows. I really wish I could remember the name of the book that I first read it up because it was like 10 years ago. 
Um, and it did talk about like there being this like, you know, magical like cell recovery and stuff like that, that happens when we're fasting and that like we would be more insulin sensitive and that like when we go into our workout, we would be more focused because we would be looking for that like meal afterwards and all of these things. But what I find is that a lot of people are intermittent fasting in the wrong way. So it's not that I'm against it, but first, before I even talk about like how to apply it appropriately is why and how it works. So if you're using intermittent fasting as a means to lose weight or lose body fat, um, know that the only reason it's working for that is because it's likely restricting your calorie intake. So if you normally eat breakfast, lunch, dinner, three snacks, and you tell yourself you're skipping breakfast, lunch, and snack, now you've eliminated about half your calories for the day. And even if you are adding calories in those later meals, chances are you're likely not adding in as much as you think you are. You probably aren't adding in as much as you were eating in the earlier part of the day previously. Because if you're cutting out maybe like a coffee and a Starbucks or a Starbucks latte and a croissant or something like that, you might realize you're not getting some of those higher calorie foods. It's the same reason why people will say, well, when I stop eating at night, I lose weight. It's like, well, it's not the night eating that caused you to lose weight. It's because you cut out probably a large calorie snack at night. So know that that's usually why you lose weight with an intermittent fasting protocol. Now, what a lot of people are doing wrong with this is, I see this a lot recently, is um, you'll have people that will go to a 5.30 a.m. or a 6.30 a.m. CrossFit class, and then they don't want to break their fast until, you know, 12, 1 o'clock in the afternoon because they've been fasting all night since, you know, 6.30 p.m. the night previously. So they're going to be like, oh, I'm going to wait until, you know, 12, 1 o'clock. Now, understanding, which likely most of you guys don't, is understanding what we do when we break, when we work out is essentially we're breaking down muscle tissue. We're causing rises in our, our insulin levels. I'm sorry, not insulin levels, our cortisol levels. We're creating this like fight or flight response. And then your body's like screaming for recovery. And basically you're like, nope, not recovering yet. So I just put you through this huge stressful situation and I'm going to leave everything elevated for a longer period of time. Now, this is when your body is most insulin sensitive and when your body can utilize carbohydrates the most. And it's honestly, for those of you guys looking to build muscle, this is a prime time for you guys to fill those muscles with carbohydrates. Your body is screaming for them. It's so thirsty. It's like, pretend like you've been told you can't drink water for a whole day. That first sip of water is going to taste so good. And that's what your muscles need after you work out. And essentially, as you're fasting, you're telling your body, nope, not getting that. Now, that cortisol level being, you know, constantly elevated. And, and then usually what people are doing is they're probably drinking coffee to keep themselves from being hungry. Um, it's only causing it to happen more. And then what's happening is that's now causing uh, wreaking havoc on like the adrenal system. So it's really important to know that if you guys are doing some kind of an intermittent fasting protocol to make sure that you are not doing it after you work out, better, can, better scenario would be to do it before you work out. So whether you are doing a first 5.30 a.m., 6 a.m. workout, boom, you're eating, and then you're you're having a large meal. That might be like somebody else's dinner meal. You might be eating a larger part of your calories in that meal and then fasting from like 11 a.m. until, you know, whatever time at night, you know, so you might break your fast a little bit differently, or maybe you are eating earlier in the day and then you're fasting after 4 p.m., hitting your workout in the morning, and then your calorie intake starts from like 8 a.m. until 4 p.m. or whatever your window might be. But that's really if you are looking for intermittent fasting from any other kind of like 
you know, some of the, I want to call it the 1% um, benefits you might be able to get from it, whether it be, you know, better insulin sensitivity, whether it be um, more focus in your workout. Some people can claim um, some different things like cell turnover, less inflammation, all of that stuff. But at the end of the day, I mentioned 1% because it likely is more of a 1% fix. It's not like a, it's not like a save all. It's more of like, eh, I'm going to try this because I've done everything else. And this is like the last thing I'm going to do. Meaning you already have a really good understanding of what your calorie intake should be like. You already know how to eat healthy foods. You already have dived in, you've cut out a lot of the inflammatory foods out of your diet and all of those types of things. And, and now it's just like, this is the last barrier to break. So I, I think of this on the nutrition hierarchy, this is going to be like, like I said, like the top, like the 1%. If you haven't done everything else, don't even stress about this yet. Um, for some people's lifestyles, this can be a super helpful thing. But like I said, it's more so case by case basis. But kind of going into the low carb protocol, which is, I guess, kind of where I wanted to kind of go with today's episode. And I almost was going to make this episode solely just on this, but I kind of just felt like talking today. I've been just having such a good time. Uh, and I actually feel more relaxed today than I have in a long time. And so when I'm sitting here and I'm chilling and I got stuff on my mind to chat to you guys about, I'm going to, I'm just going to roll with it. And, and so this bigger part of this episode today, is going to be really based on low carb application and ketogenic applications with CrossFit athletes. And in, and I, when I say athlete, I mean, CrossFitters in general, those of you guys doing CrossFit five, six days a week with the sole purpose of like, I want to get fitter. I want to get stronger. I want to see results. So first and foremost, like, why are you doing it? That's got to be addressed first. So if you're taking action on something and you don't know what results you're looking for, it's really important to understand that that's where you need to start because likely the application of something, it might not be exactly what you want to get out of it. So, you know, why does a ketogenic diet work for fat loss or weight loss? It has very little to do with, and I say little because it does have something to do with um, insulin levels and fat adaptation and more so to do with calorie intake being limited from a specific food group. So all of our macronutrients, protein, carbs, and fats all have calories. So if you say, Hey, I'm just going to severely limit my carbohydrate intake. Now you've essentially knocked out a large number of calories, even more. So a lot of the foods that you're eating that are high in calories or higher in carbs are also high in calories from carbs and fat. So like it's going to cut out things like cupcakes and cookies and chips and salsas and well, not really salsas, but like chips and, and ice cream and breads and, and rices and like all these pastas. And, but usually those foods in isolation are not the problem. Usually it's those foods in abundance and mixtures. So cutting out those ketogenic or cutting out those carbohydrates now, instead of having pasta with cheese and sauce, people are essentially having like zucchini with cheese and sauce. So now that they don't have all those calories from carbs, it's not the carbs, it's the calories that they've cut out. So if your sole purpose for using a ketogenic or a low carb diet is to lose weight, understand that you are essentially just manipulating calories to do that. And this is often, often why it will stop working because when a person's not tracking food and they're not tracking overall caloric intake, chances are over time, they end up starting to get a little bit more generous with fat intake. Um, and well, one is they get more generous with fat intake because they're like starting to get cravings. Right. And this is where like keto treats start coming into play and all these other crazy things. 
But um, the first thing that I was going to mention, as I kind of just had like one of those like brain farts where you think about something and go on to another tangent, um, is that, okay, I know what I was going to say. So with a ketogenic diet, what you'll typically see is the first couple of weeks, that person might drop some weight, uh, like three to five pounds the first week, and then maybe another two to three pounds the next week, and then maybe it starts to slow down. The reason why they're losing that weight has little to do with body fat, and it has everything to do with glycogen. So every gram of carbs your body takes in, your body's going to store three to four grams of water. So if I have 100 carbs, I'm likely storing somewhere between 300 and 400 grams of water. So if I cut out 100 carbs, that's three to 400 grams of water. Kind of doing some math in my head right now. If 85 grams is about three ounces, and so what's that like? I got to think in my head. That's probably close to about a pound to two pounds. So if you're cutting that out over the course of a week, you're let's just say you end up cutting out a total of like maybe call it 700, 800 carbs out of the whole week, and you times that by three or 400 you're likely losing that much weight in water. And so it's basically, you're just drying out your muscles of any kind of energy source. And this is where they're like, oh, well now I'm gonna become fat adapted. And I'm gonna go into that next. But that's it, it takes a lot longer than that. So first your body has to get depleted of all that. Then it's going to start to turn protein into glucose via glucogenesis. Um, and then it's going to start to utilize fat for fuel. So it's really important that you guys understand that the reason why they lose, lose, uh, weight so fast is that it's the carbohydrates that they've lost and the water from those carbohydrates. So now I'm going to go into this application of like, well, if you're trying to lose weight, like you want to be more fat adapted, I'm going to burn more body fat, yada, yada, yada. And where there is some merit to that, the goal of everybody is to become metabolically flexible. And if you have a healthy, healthy, like blood sugar levels and all those things, most of us are. So like right now while I'm sitting here and I'm talking to you guys on my podcast and I'm looking out at this amazing rainstorm and all of these things, my body is likely burning mostly oxygen oxidatively. So it's mostly burning fat for fuel right now. It's not burning up carbohydrates. It's likely those carbs are sitting in my muscles waiting for something to, you know, call on them. So now if I'm going to go out and I'm going to start lifting weights and I'm going to start getting on the assault bike and I'm going to start pushing my, my heart rate up and I'm going to start, you know, lifting heavy and, and, and we're demanding stressful situations on my body. My body primarily wants to use carbohydrates for that. Your body's preferred source of fuel for high intensity training like that is going to always be carbohydrates, regardless of how fat adapted you get, your body will always want to pull carbohydrates for those fuel sources. Now, there is a time when you want to be fat adapted. And like I said, if you're metabolically flexible, this is usually what will happen. And this is going to go more so for like endurance athletes. So endurance athletes are going to burn through a ton of carbohydrates. And at some point, they're going to want to start, you know, being able to burn off fuel. This is something that happens naturally. Um, but we should always be able to top things off with extra carbohydrates. So in reality, remind yourself of like, if you are a performance athlete here and you're trying to become fat adapted, once again, what is your why? If optimally your body prefers carbohydrates to be fueling these high intensity training sessions and it allows you to recover and allows you to perform your best, why would you be wanting to deprive your body of them? And if your sole purpose is to lose weight, 
then why don't we go back to why you lose weight on a low carb diet in the first place? It's a calorie control game. So, and this is where instead of pulling calories from specifically one food group, we can pull calories from multiple food groups, AKA carbs and fats together and finding a blend of, uh, or like a, a nutrient ratio that allows you to eat moderate fat and moderate carbs and adjust those things based on your preferences and how your body responds on an energy perspective and a performance perspective. So, you know, and, and there's number of different percentages of intake that we can go over here and I don't need to get all geeky on you guys. But what I really want you to guys get, get you to understand is that for weight manipulation, cutting out a specific food group rarely works long-term unless you are planning to live that way for the rest of your life. So if you're going to tell yourself right now that you are going to be a low carb ketogenic dieter forever, then likely that might be if the case for you. But I don't know about you. I do enjoy eating rice and sweet potatoes and cereal and oatmeal and occasionally some pizza and some cookies. So know that if you enjoy those foods, it's actually worse for you to cut them out because your body actually very, after you've been in a ketogenic or a low carb state for a long time, your body tends to tolerate those foods a lot less. And it takes a little bit of time for your body, just like it did to become fat adapted to honestly also become uh, more able to actually use carbohydrates for fuel again. So you're better off always with moderation, which honestly is the key to everybody's life. Now, I think that there are some things that people can really gain from these dietary protocols in, and that is that most of them are going to force you to focus on eating more veggies and more lean proteins. But most people on a low carb ketogenic diet don't do those things. They end up going for things like cheese and processed meat products and nuts and avocado, which is great. But they, they go to all these high fat, high saturated fats, no carb, no, no veggies, no antioxidants, none of that stuff. And so also looking at this from a health perspective too, like I mentioned, knowing that everybody should spend some time dialing in from a health perspective is you're not teaching your body how to eat for optimal health. Whereas every dietary protocol, when coming back to status quo or like maintenance mode, should be with the sole purpose of like living the most optimal life possible, being as healthy as we can be, like being able to like have energy in our day and being able to, you know, chase our kids in the park and, and sleep a normal night of sleep without stress and all of these different things. And, and you're not teaching your body that at all. And that's why I think for some people that it can get be really easy to get hung up on like the ketogenic stuff and all of that because it sounds really sexy and really easy to just cut out a food group. You're not teaching yourself anything. In fact, you're just teaching yourself like to honestly be more guilty for eating like a freaking rice cake, you know, or like feeling guilty having like a little bit of cereal here and there. It's like, it's just food, dude. Like it's just food. And if you enjoy it, you should be able to eat it. Like you know, so it's, it's something that has been on my mind a lot because I, I see this a lot in, in athletes and it's just, you know, it's just something that I feel like you guys could be so much better off if you just learn how to moderate things. And for those of you guys, maybe that you're not an athlete, something that I was also thinking about today is if you're a parent and you have kids and they're 12, 14, 16, do you want them to believe that eating carbohydrates is not good for them? Do you want them to think that they can't tolerate eating carbs? Do you want them to grow up thinking that like if they're, if they eat bread, they're going to like become insulin resistant and like, 
you know, all of a sudden like become diabetic or like get fat? Like, like what, what standards are you setting for your kids? Like, what are you leading by example for? Because I don't know about you as a kid, you know, my parents never like, I shouldn't say they ever pushed any dietary protocols on me, but my mother was a little bit overweight and my, my mother's family was significantly overweight. And all I ever saw was them overeating or undereating because they were either overeating a lot of junk food or they were undereating to diet, you know, whether it was Weight Watchers, whether it was Adkins, whether it was some other dietary protocol. But at the end of the day, like they never, like our meals were never as balanced as they should have been because we didn't learn that. Like we learned how to like eat whatever we wanted or it was watching them diet. And as a kid, like, what do you want your kids to see? What do you want them to know? Or are you sitting there saying, don't do like mom does, you know, or don't do like dad does. Like, what do you want them to know? And what do you want them to learn? Cause you are the example. And I know this because I have some girls that I work with that are 16, 17, 18 years old, and they are already in the dieting world, already looking at protocols, already cutting out things like dairy and, and working on intermittent fasting and all these crazy protocols. So I know this was kind of a little bit of a, a catch-all of a couple of different types of situations here, but it was a lot that I wanted to go over today from a very non-scientific standpoint today, because I don't want to bore you guys with all the science behind why, you know, your body is always going to utilize carbs better for high intensity exercise than, you know, fats. Um, but one thing that I will say before I, I kind of hang up the call here is that the other thing that I also want to mention, if you are a female and you're listening to this is that, um, and even if you're a male, most of the dietary protocol testing on intermittent fasting, low carb ketogenic diets has been on males because women our stress levels are not the same as men. We can't tolerate things the same way as they can. So know that a lot of this testing that's being done has not even been done on women. So we're likely also not going to respond the same way as these tests. And I know that's sometimes hard to hear, but we all know that like, oh, it's just so easy. My husband just starts to eat healthy and he just, the weight comes off of him. And then we're like, well, why does it take me so long? Because men are different and women have different needs. And we definitely do carry on a lot more stress than guys do just in general. Emotionally, like, you know, our hormone levels are different. So know that as well. Anyways, if you guys got value out of this episode, if you want to hear more about ketogenic diet, any of this kinds of stuff. Oh, and then obviously last thing, uh, this week my group is starting a challenge. Uh, we are doing it for free. However, there's a $25 buy-in that is going to be cash prize for the winner. Um, but it started actually on Sunday, uh, which is the day after this one's being, this episode's being released. If you want to jump in, let me know. I'll add you to my Facebook group and uh, we'll get you in. It's going to be fun. It's 12 weeks. It's going to take you from April 11th all the way up till the 4th of July. So you'll be ready for whatever parties you might have coming up that weekend. Uh, so yeah, that's pretty much it. Guys, I hope you guys got some value out of this episode. If you want to chit chat, if you want me to do a little diet evaluation on you, even if you just want to get some advice, shoot me a message, DM, whatever you want. So I'm here for you. Have a good week.